Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 113 of Just the Zoo of Us. This week, I'm joined by a truly lovely guest who is here to talk about an animal that you may not have even known was, in fact, an animal. Sponges, specifically the ones found not outliving the salt life in the ocean, but making themselves at home in bodies of fresh water. This chat is a special treat because our guest is going to answer some questions you may have never thought to ask. Like, what does a sponge feel like in your hands? How does a completely stationary animal get to new places? And what kind of role do they play in their ecosystem? Stick around afterwards for announcements, plugs, and a sneak peek at next week's episode. Without further ado, Just the Zoo of Us presents Fresh Water Sponges with Mallory McNulty. Everybody, this is Ellen Weatherford. I'm here with just the zoo of us. This is your favorite animal review podcast. And this week, we're joined by a new friend. We have Mallory McNulty. Say hi, Mallory. Hi. You have an animal for us today that I'm going to be honest with you, I frequently have to Google to confirm that it is in fact an animal. Yeah, um, <laughs> actually, a lot of biologists thought that it was a plant for a really long time, too. And a lot of people don't even know that they exist. Right, because you, you hear the word sponge and you maybe think of like the inanimate object that you keep in your kitchen, right? It does not seem like an actual living creature that you would find out in nature. So. Yes, I've had people <laughs> you know. ask me why I don't just use kitchen sponges to do my research. So <laughs> it's not the same thing. Visually similar, perhaps, but not quite the same. Um, and specifically... We're talking about freshwater sponges, which I feel like is like a whole different thing, right? Because you got to like have the concept of sponges are animals and then also that like they're specific to a type of water, right? So it, you get yep. to like an extra level of like, I did not know that about sponges. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people don't know that freshwater ones exist, so... Right? Yeah. When I actually told my husband, Christian, that we were talking about this today, I said, we're talking about freshwater sponges. He goes, there are freshwater sponges? I was like, that's what I said. That was my reaction, too. <laughs> I did not know that they existed last year. So I think this is going to be probably a wild ride for a lot of people with lots of new information. But first, before we dig into the sponge, let's talk about you a little bit. Can you tell our friends listening maybe a little bit about how you got into studying freshwater sponges? Actually, with the pandemic, I have a six-year-old, so I brought him home and I was homeschooling him. So I got him a really, really cheap, awful, like $15 microscope off Amazon. And then I went to my professor, uh, Dr. Kolomayetz, and I asked him, you know, do you have any slides of things that we can look at? He's like, oh, yeah, here, you know, oh, these are poorly labeled. Take these. They're sponges. He did not tell me what they were. <laughs> All I said was that they were sponges. <laughs> and we ended up, I was expecting like cells or something. It ended up being spicules, which are like the skeletal system of sponges. Whoa. And I was way more interested in them than my son was. And I kind of just got obsessed. <laughs> I spent like three hours that night in the middle of the night Googling, trying to figure out what I was looking at. And that was probably 10 months ago. And I've been kind of obsessed ever since. Oh, my gosh. So that was a gift for you. Yep. <laughs> That's one of those times when you get a kid a gift and you're like, here you go. You play with it for five minutes and then pass it on back because I'm going to need this. Yeah, now, now I have a for real like 200 some dollar microscope that I borrowed from the university sitting in my living room. So it's a bit of an upgrade. 
So was this like these were samples just like given to you by your professor that you got to look at? Or like, would you be able to just find freshwater sponges like out where you are, like in, I don't know, a river or something like that? Both. Those were samples that he had collected from a previous student. But we go out, I go out at least once a week and I collect samples. So they're in all kinds of rivers and lakes and streams and you'll find them underneath bridges and they're everywhere. It's just people don't recognize mm. them because they kind of look like they're either plants or like scuzz on the side of a wall. I probably would have definitely made that mistake of just like overlooking it. And there you go. There's a cool animal that you wouldn't have even noticed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's people who, oh, yeah, I've been you know fishing in these lakes all my life and I've seen these things before, but didn't know what they were. <laughs> Are they like specific to your area or would you kind of find them like anywhere? They're global. I know there's several species in North America. We have, because we're in Michigan, so one of the things that I'm doing with my professor is helping him create a survey of the species that are in Michigan, because at this point, nobody really knows. There are several watersheds that have no data at all. So, so far, we've found 14 different species all throughout Michigan, and they're all throughout North America. Wow. That's really cool. <laughs> There's like a lot of diversity among them and you might not even know like at a glance what they are. So let's say you're like out in a river or a lake. How do you know that what you are looking at is a freshwater sponge? Like I, I know what maybe a kind of porous sponge looks like, right? Like something mm -hmm. that looks like something with a bunch of Swiss cheese holes in it. But if there's like a lot of diversity among sponges, like how do you know that you've got a sponge on your hands? Uh, the best way is to do like a field test. If you rub them between your fingers, they kind of feel like, have you ever left Rice Krispies in the bowl for too long and they get kind of soggy, but they've still got a little bit of crunch to them? <laughs> That's what they feel like. I think so. A crunch, really? <laughs> yeah. So they're spicules. It's like their skeletal system and they kind of look like microscopic icicles. Like they're just little pieces. They're pointy on both ends. So... They kind of give them a gritty kind of feel. Wow. I would have thought that they were just like a soft mass. <laughs> you know? I wouldn't have thought that they had bones. Uh, it's kind of. It's more, they kind of just hold them up. They don't have tissues or organs, so they don't have real skeletal system. A bone adjacent structure. <laughs> yeah. They just kind of help support them and, you know, hold everything up. And they're a good defense system because they're kind of spiky. Oh, so do they actually like stick out of the sponge? Uh, some of them do a little bit. You have to look really, really hard because they're very, very small. But you can kind of see them, you know, poking out a little. But a lot of them are just holding the actual, like, I want to call them walls of the sponge up and keeping their structure. All right. I think that what is so like challenging to a lot of people to conceptualize the sponge as an animal is the lack of any sort of face <laughs> that you can yes. look at, right? There's no like cute puppy dog eyes that you can look at and be like, mm, yes, there is the animal. So I guess like when you're looking at a sponge, how do you know what part of it to look at? Like, is there any sort of like organization to the body or is it just kind of all sponge mass? I mean, like I said, there's no tissues or organs. Mm -hmm. They're not symmetrical at all. They're completely asymmetrical. But they do have, like you said, oh. with the porousness, they've got ostia, which are tiny little holes where they intake food from, and then oscula, which are bigger holes, and that's where they expel the food out of. And then in the sponge itself, there's like a network of 
corridors, kind of. So that's pretty much the only structure that's to them. <laughs> they're kind of <laughs> like they'll move stuff through their little channels, but other than that, they're very random. Maybe chaotic creature. <laughs> yeah, there's not a whole lot of organization there. <laughs> it's a lawless anarchist creature that has completely uh, cast the rules of the animal body plan aside. <laughs> yeah, well, they're considered multicellular colonies because mm. they depend on each other. They live together. The cells can specialize. But also, if you stick it in a blender and break it up and then throw it in the water, each of those little bits and pieces can regrow into another sponge. So it's <gasps> not like it has to be organized in a certain way. Wow, the flexibility. You gotta really admire. <laughs> I know. They're cool little creatures. I mean, they're one of the oldest animals to have evolved, so they've gotta be doing something right. For sure, yeah. Are there are there sponge fossils? I've never seen a sponge fossil. There are sponge fossils. Actually, there's a little bit of a debate among biologists right now because so far what we know is that sponge fossils are dated back to like 540 million years ago when the Cambrian explosion came about, like when the Earth started getting all this oxygen. But just recently, there was someone who found what they think is a sponge fossil, which would have dated it back to 890 million years ago, which would have been before there was even you know decent amounts of oxygen on the planet. So there's a little bit of debate as to whether it's actually a sponge fossil. So I guess we'll find out. But that could change our whole knowledge of when animals were evolving. They're like, you thought you knew old. Guess what? We got even older. (laughs) That's so fascinating. And they feel like they feel old, right? You're like, this is something that definitely has been going on for long before anything we would even possibly recognize, right? Oh, yeah. They're very primitive. (laughs) Feels almost alien, right? It feels like something you'd see in sci-fi. Yeah, I can see that. I don't know. I'm kind of used to seeing weird stuff at the bottom of the ocean. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, like anything in the bottom of the ocean, you never know, like they're just popping off down there, right? Where they're like, I don't need light. I don't really need that much oxygen. They're like, just take what you can throw at them. I've kind of just accepted that anything that lives in water is weird. They're operating on completely different rules than we are. (laughs) Yep, exactly. So this is a good, I think, segue into our first category that we rate animals on, which if this is your first time listening to this podcast, this is our whole thing. This is what we do. We review animals by rating them out of 10 in different categories. The first category is effectiveness. So these are like physical things about this creature's body that let it do a good job of the things it's trying to do. And I'm going to be real with you. I do not know what a sponge is trying to do. Like, I don't... (laughs) (laughs) i don't have a firm grasp of what their um goals in life are i'm assuming it's eating and making more sponges um so what would you rate freshwater sponges out of 10 for effectiveness i would rate them pretty high maybe an eight just because like i said they you can break them apart and they'll keep going and they produce like in the fall when it's starting to get cold they'll produce gemules which are little protective sacs that hold cells in them and then those can stay dormant for years Whoa! until conditions are right and they can hatch basically and grow a new sponge from those and their goal in life i guess you say they're filter feeders so one sponge not all species but a lot of species can filter their body volume in like under a minute whoa is that like filtering sediment filtering like animals like like little plankton or something like what what is it that they're what is it that they're getting from the water yeah so they take the water in and then they you know push it through their canals and they're taking in bacteria and um 
like organic particles. Wow. I know in the ocean there are some that'll eat like crabs and stuff, but with freshwaters, it's mm -hmm. no, just bacteria. So if they're kind of like filtering these things out of the water, is that beneficial for the water around them? It is. It's very beneficial for the water. But also, they can only do so much. Like, they're tough little animals, but they're also very sensitive to water pollution. Mm. Um, I was just talking to another group from Louisiana, and they were telling me that some of their freshwater sponges are black because there's so much oil in the water and it gets absorbed by the sponge. Oh. So their sponges are all fairly small and dark in color because of so much pollution. So you don't see them a whole lot in two polluted areas, but in areas where the water is already fairly clean and suitable for them, then they do a lot to help keep it that way. So let's say you have a sponge in an area. This area is not looking too good. The water is real dirty. The sponge is not thriving. Does the sponge have any sort of way to leave or are they just kind of stuck where they are? Like, can they move at all or are they just sitting there? They can only move. Not every species does this, but some of them will have a larva stage because they can reproduce both sexually and asexually. So if they reproduce sexually, then once they're fertilized, they can hatch into like a little larva. And they've got the little cilia or flagella and they can kind of float downstream and swim a little bit. But once they settle in, they don't move unless a piece gets broken off by something and then it can float downstream and settle again and regrow. Wow. I'm still really interested in the thing you said about them being able to like be put in a blender and then kind of reassemble themselves because I, you know, we talk, we've talked about other animals that have sort of regenerative capabilities, but they usually rely on part of the animal being left intact, right? Like the head, or like with a sea star, it might be like that the, the middle part has to be intact and then it can regenerate parts of it. But it sounds like for a sponge, you can just kind of, it, it's like, oh, well, I got some sponge bits and we can throw the sponge bits together and make a new sponge. <laughs> yeah, well, like I said, they don't have tissues or organs, so you can't really blend up any of those and ruin it. And they have specialized cells, but if they need to, the cells can change their specialization sometimes. So as long as they've got, you know, enough to work with, then they're pretty much good. The one thing I know that pretty much will kill them is if you pull them out of the water because they'll get air bubbles trapped in their little channels and then they can't eat. Oh no. So that and pollution are the only things I know that they really can't survive very well. Are there things that eat them? Yeah. That's actually one way that they travel is ducks will eat them. And then the gemules that I talked about, the little capsules with the cells in them, survive in the duck's digestive system. And then, you know, the ducks fly off and do something and then they poop it out and it hatches and grows a sponge. Wow, that's really neat. It's a, the gemule you said. It's like a little, oh, this is going to be like the second time this month that I've referenced these. But those little toys when you're a kid, that's a little pill thing and you drop it in water and it grows into like a little dinosaur shaped sponge thing. Have you seen those before? <laughs> yeah, I have. Kind of, I guess, because the outer coating kind of dissolves. I think of it more like a seed where it's got the little cells inside of it and then it breaks open and the cells are what settle and reproduce. A lot of the things that you've said have made me so far draw some like mental parallels between sponges and plants. They feel like they're right in that sort of middle ground. And you said earlier that like biologists thought they were plants, right? So it feels like they're right in that... They're right in that middle ground between an animal and a plant. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty they're pretty close and a lot of, you know, they look like plants, especially cuz they also have a symbiotic relationship with algae, which I post a lot of pictures of a lot of sponges that are just bright green. 
And that's because of that relationship with algae. So they do interact a lot with plants. And they kind of, I don't want to say they rely on each other because sponges can live without algae, but they definitely help each other out. Oh, wow. What does the algae do for the sponge? The algae provides oxygen and then the sponge protects the algae. Oh, they're buddy up. Yeah. That's really cool. That's very, that's a good idea of them. Because I guess the sponge can't exactly like fight off predators, right? But at least it's a little house for the algae to live in. But I've seen your pictures of the sponges that you've posted and they are beautiful. They're this bright like emerald green, but I thought the sponge was just green. <laughs> I just thought that was what they looked like. Nope. We'll get some that are very dark brown if they grow in the shade. You know, I've seen sponges where they're half in shade and half out and the part that's in the sun is just bright green. And then the part that was in the shade is like a very light beige. That reminds me of um, sloths. Like the way that they're like really, they move really, really slowly so that like algae and moss grows in their fur and turns them green. That's kind of what that makes me think of. I did not know that. It's really cool. And it's it's apparently like it benefits the sloth because it gives them a green color that helps them blend in. So like it helps them camouflage. Okay. It's really cool. And that's what it makes me think of. They're like, oh, let me just latch on to the slow moving animal so we can be friends. Algae is just friends with everything. <laughs> I know, man. They're the capybaras, I feel like, of water environments. They're just like, we'll just be friends with anybody. Any old thing that comes along. <laughs> yeah. So the next category that we rate animals on, which I have no idea how to approach this for a sponge, but we're going to do our best. This is ingenuity, um, which is uh, behavioral adaptations that helps the animal solve problems it may encounter. I don't even know how you would measure behavior for a sponge. Um, you may have a, <laughs> a better idea, but what would you give the freshwater sponge out of 10 for ingenuity? Uh, maybe a two, and that's only because they develop genules in the fall that help it survive until spring. That's valid. <laughs> <laughs> they don't really do much. I mean, the larvae can move, but they really don't have much control. So, Oh, so are they just at the mercy of the current? Yeah, they have cilia or flagella on the larva, so they can move around a little bit but they can't move against the current. So they kind of just float around until they find something that they can stick to, and then they'll cling to that. That's about as much behavior as we get out of them. They're doing their best. Do they have any way of like perceiving their environment around them? Like I'm thinking, I'm like, I don't see any eyes on this thing, you know, like, or ears. So do they have any way of figuring out what's going on around them? Or are they just kind of purely like input output? There is some interaction with the environment. I'm not, I don't really know a whole ton about it, but I know... Like, I have a couple different sites that I go to every week, and in one site, the water is very shallow, very clear, and very fast-growing. And the sponges there, their structure is very short, and it's very densely packed. And then I have another site that I go to where it's in a lake, so the water is slow-moving, and it's deeper, and it's darker, too. There's a lot of tannins in it. And the sponges there, like, the fingers or the lobes are a lot more spread out, and they're a lot longer. So there is some sort of interaction. They, their morphology does change with the environment, but I'm not sure how they know how to do that. But they don't have like eyeballs or anything like no, no secret hidden eyeballs. <laughs> no. Because 
I know like when one thing I asked about when we talked about like sea stars was just that how how are they getting any information in and out? But I guess with sponges, even if they even if they could see something happening around them, I guess there's not anything they could do about it, right? So I don't think eyeballs <laughs> would be helping them a whole lot, right? When we talked about plants, I talked with Dr. Vikram Beliga about plants and he told us about how they kind of will grow in a direction that will give them better access to things that they might need, like light or water or something like that. Do sponges do that at all? Where it's like, ooh, that spot over there. I know you said that they they will change their body according to like the depth of the water or like how much sediment is in the water. So, I mean, like, I guess does things like light, is that affecting like what direction they want to grow in at all? No, I do know that there are definitely spots that they favor, but I'm pretty sure it's more of a, they just happened to cling to that spot and it was really good, so they grew a lot, than it is, uh, oh, let's go over here kind of thing. Because they really like that fast flowing water right before it goes over the edge of a dam and stuff like that. You'll find a whole ton on there, or underneath bridges on the walls, they'll be everywhere on those. But you can find them everywhere, it's just they don't grow as large or as much. Is a fast flow better for them if like the water is really booking it through there, or is that a little bit too rough on them? Yeah, there's definitely a Goldilocks zone. <laughs> so you want it to be fast enough that it's stirring up sediment and bringing stuff in, but also slow enough that it's not breaking apart your sponge. Like they've got some structure, but they can be fairly delicate. But I guess even if a piece snaps off, there's still a chance. <laughs> yeah, it just travels downstream and sticks somewhere else. It's just an adventure. I think yeah. there's a lesson in that for us is that even if a piece of you gets broken off, that's just an opportunity for a new adventure. Yep. <laughs> we can learn some things uh, from the sponge, I think. And I like the approach of the sponge where life just happens to them. Yeah, just got to <laughs> go with the flow. Sometimes literally. Sometimes that's the only choice you have. Yeah. I think there's some life lessons we can learn from the sponge. I like their vibe. I like that they just are like, you know what? I'll just make it work. I'll, whatever happens to me, I'll just find some way to latch onto the surface I wind up in. And Yep, they will too. We found them, you know, usually we'll find them on rocks or on like dead trees in the water. But I think last year someone found one on a rope. <laughs> like, oh, they wow. don't care. They will find anything and just stick to it. <laughs> I, I should have asked this earlier. How are they sticking to the things? Is that like, I know when we talked about barnacles, barnacles like make an adhesive thing that they use to stick themselves onto surfaces. Is it like a sticky thing that they're using to stick on? Are they like holding on with some sort of structure? Like how do they stick on? I don't, I would imagine it's some sort of a structure. They don't feel sticky, but I know that they'll get into grooves and stuff. Like they've just burrowed in maybe and they're yeah. just like latched on. I Gonna have to look into that. I'm gonna write that down. Because we've talked about how things will sometimes latch on to moving animals in the water, like whales, like how whales will get like barnacles and stuff that grow on them. Do sponges ever like latch on to living <laughs> surfaces? Is that something you've ever seen? Um, not unless you count plants, or at least not that I've oh. ever heard of, but they will. Um, like it's not only dead plants, you know, those bushes that kind of hang over and dip into the water. And oh, yeah, a lot yeah, of yeah. times if you lift those up, they'll be clinging to the branches there. 
Oh, that's cool. I was just thinking of like, I think I feel like a manatee would be a good candidate for something that would be like slow moving enough that like a sponge might be able to latch on somehow. Because you'll see manatees swimming through and they're covered in, you know, algae and all sorts of plants are growing on them and stuff. I would be so charmed if that happened. <laughs> if it's a thing, I would definitely want to know. That would be cool. The last category that we rate animals on is aesthetics. And this is very self-explanatory. This is just how nice is this animal to look at. And it is purely your totally biased and arbitrary opinion. What do you give freshwater sponges for aesthetics? That depends on the species. Because there are some that look like they're just scum that's sticking to a wall. Mm, that's not super cute. I still think they're cool, so I would give them at least a two. But then there are others where they're bright green and they have all these intricate lobes and patterns or they have all these fingers coming up and they're gorgeous and I would rate them like a 15 out of 10. <laughs> the pictures you have posted have got me on like team sponge right like i i feel like they don't get a lot of glamour shots because usually sponges are treated i think as background pieces you know mm -hmm. like you'll have a picture of like fish on a reef or something like that and the sponge is like a little filler bit in the background right i feel like sponges aren't usually the uh, foreground of the image they're not usually the central piece but that's why i really like your pictures because it's like oh the actual focus is on the sponge and you get to actually see all the little nooks and crannies inside of it and they they get the paparazzi treatment yes. that i think they don't normally get which is really charming to me <laughs> Yes, I tell everyone, they just don't get enough appreciation. They don't. <laughs> like, they can be absolutely gorgeous little animals. Yeah. Is there a lot of difference visually between, like, the sponges you would find in freshwater and the sponges you would find, like, on a reef? I feel like with reefs, they tend to be more different colors. Because mm. with freshwater sponges, you've got brown, tan, beige, like, different shades of brown, and then you've got green. And that's it. But mm -hmm. with like ocean sponges, you'll see like bright yellows and reds and all sorts of things. And then ocean sponges also tend to have a lot more diversity in shapes. But ocean sponges have a lot more diversity in general. Only about 2% of sponge species are freshwater. So there isn't a whole ton of diversity with them. But that's what makes them so special. I know. <laughs> and I'm surprised freshwater sponges are the first sponges that we're talking about on the show. Because like you said, like most of them are marine sponges. But no, they can get their uh, marine publicity <laughs> anytime they want. But this time we got the freshwater sponges getting the first shot. About time. They deserve it. I think that you see this like sort of more earthy tone palette with freshwater fish too. Like mm -hmm. freshwater fish, you see kind of like the browns and the greens and the grays. And then with the more like marine, like reef fish, they get all the brilliant, beautiful colors. Not to say that there's not brilliant, beautiful colors in freshwater fish, because there are. But I feel like that earthy palette is something that you see a lot more in freshwater creatures. Yeah, definitely. And there's aesthetic value in that. It's beautiful, too. It's just maybe not as flashy. It's it's beautiful in its own more subtle way, I think. Yes. And people tend to go for the more you know flashy and bright and can't appreciate the simple things in life. <laughs> well, that's what we're here to do. We're here to hype up the more unassuming, I think, freshwater sponges. So with the freshwater sponges that you like work with, do you get to have a lot of like hands-on experience with the sponges? I know you said you go out and like collect samples. So like, what does your work with them look like? Do you like take them back to a lab and raise them? Or like, do you just kind of take them out, look at them real quick and put them back? Like, what does that look like? 
we take them, like, I'll take a piece of the sponge, and I'll collect the sample, and I'll, you know, take it back to the lab, and then we'll dissolve it in nitric acid and put it on microscope slides. It sounds awful when you're talking about, you know, because we just talked about how they live even though they're broken up, <laughs> but it is what it is. Anyways, so we'll dissolve them and put them on microscope slides, and then, you know, we'll take a look and see their spicules, and what my research is looking at is the spicules and how they form in relation to the environment. So I'm looking at how environmental contaminants affect spicular malformations. And then also we look at those because they're important, because you cannot identify a sponge properly without looking at the gemmules, and those are fairly microscopic. Because there's you know so many species and a lot of them look so similar, but they're gemmules and gemulosclerals, which are the specialized spicules that have to do with the gemmules, are all different per species. So okay, so I get to go do stuff in the field and then yeah, it sounds like it would be really fun to just like get to go out. Like, do you like go out on a boat? We don't get to go out on a boat. We've tried to talk the fish people into letting us borrow a boat, and they're not going for it. Fish people, if you're listening, let them borrow a boat. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. No, we put on waders, and we go, you know, wandering around down streams and along, like, shorelines, and just picking up rocks and doing stuff like that, and we'll find a ton. So we haven't really gotten to explore, like, deeper water, although my professor has an underwater drone. So I got to play with that a little bit, and we found one at like seven meters deep. Wow. So that was pretty cool. Was it really big? No, it was very small. But it was still exciting to find. I didn't know they got that deep. So apparently they can get much deeper, but I didn't know that at the time. That's really cool. When you look at them under a microscope, I know this is probably really difficult to do over like a strictly audio medium where you can't just like show people a picture. But like, let's say you look at a sponge sample under a microscope. What would you see in the slide? Because I dissolve them, the only thing that you can see is the gemules and the spicules. The spicules are made of silicates, so they're like clear, and they kind of look like icicles. They're pointy on both ends, or needles. They come in different shapes, but most of them are just like straight line and pointy, or they can be like two of them crossed together, or my favorite ones are monstrous, and they're just really deformed, and they've got all kinds of crazy spikes and shapes going on, and they can get some wild shapes. They're my favorite. Yeah, so we'll look at that, and then we'll look at the gemules, which I said they kind of look like seeds. I don't do a whole lot of sponge identification, so I don't pay much attention to them, honestly. (laughs) They're not my favorite thing. They're just like round, brown shell type things with stuff in them. Sponge identification sounds very challenging. It's not once you get good at it, but I I hate it so much. (laughs) It's I'll do it, but I'll complain the whole time. That's fair (laughs) it sounds like something complain worthy yeah like i don't know i prefer when they're already identified and they come to me and then i can just look for weird stuff the fun part yeah exactly (laughs) my professor is very good at identification and then one of the other students we're working with who's like his whole project is about identifying species so he enjoys it and i'm just all right well you do this (laughs) then hand them to me I think that we would be remiss if we did a sponge episode without mentioning arguably probably the most famous sponge in um, popular culture history, SpongeBob SquarePants. I know that the guy that created SpongeBob, he had a background in marine biology. Like that was the thing that he studied. So are there any similarities at all between like SpongeBob that you see in the cartoon and like actual real life sponges? 
I know he looks like a kitchen sponge, doesn't he? But like, yes, yes he does. I mean, they're right that they're porous. They are absorbent. Yep. Not always yellow, but maybe sometimes. Yeah, that's pretty much where I draw the line. I mean, he's pretty go with the flow, so I'd say they got that right. That's true. Maybe some similarities in in vibe and personality, because he seems yes. pretty cool with whatever situation you put him in. Yep. A while back, we talked about copepods which I guess is the critter that Plankton from Spongebob was based on. Um, so now we've got copepods, we've got sponges, so we're slowly working our way through collecting the entire cast of Spongebob Squarepants. So eventually we'll, we'll have collected them all. Oh yeah, didn't you say it's starfish too? Yeah, we got starfish. So we got Patrick. Now we just need, um, and we've done some different types of squids. So I'm sure Squidward's in there somewhere. You're getting there. <laughs> We're slowly working our way through the entire SpongeBob lineup. Oh yeah, get them all. Put them in a group. Call it the SpongeBob Special. There you go. We'll make a whole like playlist of like these are all you could listen through. Listen to every single SpongeBob character on here. You'd think we would have done sponges earlier it took us this long to get to them but we're here now well to be fair most people don't even know that the freshwater ones exist so right that was one of the things where it's like every time because I've, I've mentioned to like my my husband and to my mom you know i was like oh yeah we're talking about freshwater sponges and it's always like i didn't even know that was a, i didn't even know that existed you know like i didn't i didn't know that they i thought that was just an ocean thing right because the only time you ever see them is like in a picture of like a coral reef or something like that you don't ever think of them as being like something you could go out on the river and go see for yourself like you don't it doesn't seem like something you could just go see yeah no i was surprised to learn about them too like last year i had no clue they existed and then they've encompassed a huge part of my life for the last like 10 months so <laughs> they're really cool once you know about them right and they don't seem like a super charismatic little critter but it, once you learn about them they kind of they can latch on to you just like they'll latch on to surfaces in the water yes exactly i don't know there's something about like going out and finding them it's just really rewarding i don't know if you ever like hunt mushrooms in the woods or anything but it's just like once you get started it's hard to stop because it's so exciting whenever you find a new one it seems like it would be setting off the the video game lover in me that would be like when you're playing a game where you're going out and collecting resources right like yes. you're playing like skyrim and you have to go out and collect like the flowers you need for an ingredient or something like that yes the ones i can only find when i don't need them yeah <laughs> It feels like it would be setting off that little like reward center in your brain that's like, mm, yes, plus one sponge added to inventory. Yeah, we'll go on big day trips and we'll come back and it's like, oh, we collected 100 samples. Yes, add them to the hoard. Some dragons hoard gold, some mm -hmm. hoard sponge samples. Hey, you know, we all have different treasures. <laughs> this is a strange question, but are they edible? Can you eat a sponge? I would not. That doesn't sound good to me. They don't smell very good, in my opinion, so I wouldn't mm. want to try it. I know, like, ducks and crawfish eat them, but they won't kill you. Might not be fun. You said that they're filtering stuff out of the water, right? So, like, all that stuff is going to be up in there. So it's like, it would be like eating your air conditioning filter. Well, I mean, the cells actually digest what they filter out, so it's a little different, but I still wouldn't want to. There's also a lot of things that live within the sponges that I wouldn't mm. want to be eating. So. Oh, yeah, they could be hiding all sorts of little s surprises in there. Yeah, there's um, spongilla fly, I think it's called that like lays their larva within the sponge and that's how they reproduce. So oh. there's definitely some creepy crawlies in there. I was going to say that I have heard of, I think it's a, 
I think it's a crab or a shrimp. Maybe it's a little shrimp that like lives inside of those little corridors in the sponge. Like they crawl up in there. It's not not freshwater sponges, but marine sponges where they'll like crawl up inside and live their life in there. Kind of like the algae that you said, like using the sponge like for protection. Have you ever seen that happen? Like, have you ever like taken a sponge sample and been like, oh, surprise little critter in here? Oh, yeah. There's bugs all the time in there. I'm not a bug person. I've had to learn to get over it a little bit. <laughs> I don't fault you for that at all. Yeah, no, I've, I've over time, as I've learned more about bugs, I've gotten more comfortable with them. I'm still not at like 100%. But it's an acquired taste, I think, to be cool with bugs. I'm pretty good with them as long as they don't surprise me. Yeah, like an on my terms. thing. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. Before we wrap up today, I would like to give you a moment to let people know where they can follow along with your work, where they can see your photos, because I really love your photos. You do like Sponge thir- is it Sponge Thursday? Yes. Yeah. So where people can find you, what kind of stuff you're working on right now that you want people to know about, anything we can leave our listeners with. So the only place I really post is on Twitter, which is MissMal93. And I post at least once a week. Uh, I wasn't able to get out this Thursday because we had to quarantine, but I'm going to be going out tomorrow. So expect to see pictures then. My research is just looking at how the environment affects them. I have a whole bunch of questions, but I'm not allowed to add anything more to my research because I'm running out of time before I graduate. So, Oh, sure. We'll see. Stay tuned. I'm hoping to go to grad school. Just real quick, when you say like things about the environment, do you mean like pollutants in the water or is it more like natural things in the water? Yes, uh, specifically, well, kind of both. Specifically, I'm looking at pH because we know that can affect the size of the spicules. And then I'm looking at silica because that's what the spicules are made out of. So the silica content in the water could affect how many spicules it can make. And then I'm also looking at heavy metals like lead and iron and those sorts of things. And then I'm also doing temperature. Also, <laughs> and also, and also, and also. Sorry, <laughs> I keep adding parts to my project. It gets hard to keep track of. <laughs> and then I'm looking at how they change over time as well. So like I said, I go out you know, at least once a week and I go to the same two sites and I collect a sponge sample and a water sample. And then I bring them back to the lab and we filter out the water sample and see what all's in that and then look at the sponge. And we're trying to see if there's any correlations between how things are changing over time and how it's affecting the sponge. Ooh, that'll be really interesting. I'll have to keep an eye out for what you find because that sounds very interesting. Yeah, I hope it's interesting. I don't know <laughs> much about it yet because nobody researches them. It's so hard finding literature on sponges or at least freshwater ones. That's an opportunity right there, right? Like that's an open niche. You got to get yourself in there. And because you describe them as being like, it's sort of like a little living water purifier, right? So it's one of those things maybe that people don't think about being so important to the ecosystem, right? Like even though to us, it looks like it's just sitting there doing nothing. It's actually a really, really important thing to the health of the water, right? That could be like keeping the water livable for all sorts of animals that live in there. So you you know, if the sponges go, a lot of other stuff's going to go with it. Maybe an overlooked conservation issue. Yeah, they're a good indicator species because, like I said, they're really susceptible to pollution. So if there are no sponges, there's a good chance that there's something wrong with your water and you should maybe look into that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Maybe something that like a lot of people don't necessarily, it's not their first thought when they think of, right, like, oh, we need to keep our wildlife healthy, right? You might think of some of the cuter things. <laughs> you might think about your like dolphins and manatees and turtles and things that are cute and adorable. But then it's like, well, don't forget about your sponges. Yeah, they matter too. 
I know. Yeah. You got to start at the base of the food chain and work your way up. We got to take care of our sponges too. Everything all works together. It's all part of one big ecosystem and everything everything needs to thrive. Yes. Let's keep it all working. Please. I'm a conservation <laughs> biology major, so it's really hard for me to see like certain species being, you know, glorified and then they're ignoring all of the species that support that species. So. Mm -hmm. Are there any sort of like action items that somebody who's listening to this might be able to like take away? Like, are there any sort of me, an average person, you know, listening to this podcast and thinking, oh, yeah, that's true. I want to do something that's going to like support the health of our freshwater ecosystem. Are there any sort of like action items we can leave people with? Don't pollute in them. Uh, one thing you want to be careful about is when you're going from one waterway to another, make sure that you clean off your boat and you clean off your boots and you you are not carrying any sort of invasive species like spores or anything with you because mm. that's how a lot of invasive species spread is you know bottom of your boots underneath your boat you know on your equipment like when i go between watersheds we will bleach down our waders to make sure that we kill anything that can spread oh wow i hadn't even thought of that but yeah that makes total sense we don't want to be introducing critters from one place to another if they're not supposed to be there so aside from, you know, not intentionally polluting things, that's one of the biggest steps that you know, the individual can take is making sure that you're not spreading things around. Sure. Oh, thank you so much for telling me that because I had never thought about that before, but it makes sense now that you say it. So I appreciate your time and your knowledge and your enthusiasm for sponges, which I must say, of everybody that I've ever met in my life, I don't think I've ever met anybody with like enthusiasm and interest in sponges. I feel like it's contagious and now I've got it and now I've got the sponge enthusiasm and now everybody listening has it too. Yes, appreciate your sponges. Love them. They deserve it. They do. They deserve it so much and they don't get enough. So hopefully that mission has been accomplished here today. Thank you so much for joining us, Mallory. It has been a delight. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. Thank you for joining us and we will talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode and learned a lot with me about the all-too-often-overlooked freshwater sponge. If you liked what you heard today, it would really mean a lot to us if you left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. You can also connect with us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. We even have a Discord server. So feel free to come hang out with us on there. I did promise a sneak peek at next week's episode, so here it is. Next week on Just the Zoo of Us, I will be inspecting an army of very impressive clones who have taken the Rio Grande by storm, and Christian will be digging into the details of a pig-snouted African insectivore. We would like to thank Louis Zong for allowing us to use his track Adventuring off of the album B-Sides as our theme music. That's all for today. See you next week. Thank you. Bye. Bye.